Hello, and welcome to the Nursing Podcast. This is Landon. Hello, this is Monique, coming from us, or coming to you from my kitchen, Kitchen of, of knowledge. knowledge, in lovely Vancouver, British Columbia. And today, we are going to talk about calcium, magnesium, and, and phosphate. Now, I'm going to, for this podcast, I'm going to let Landon geek it out, because he loves this pathophysiology, physics part of all of these different minerals in our body and I'm going to be your voices trying to understand this whole concept um, and why we order it and when do we order it and and how why do we have to treat it so, so really, Monique, I, we need you to start with the clinical yes, context because that's, <laughs> that's what you bring to the team. Exactly so and then you can geek it out. Tell but, us who who do we really care about these Exactly. On. Because we don't often order calcium, magnesium, and phosphate on every patient that comes in. And occasionally, your physician will say, can we add those in? And if we look at it, the reason that we would add it in is for people who have a lot of chronic diseases who are malnourished. And you're going to explain to us why those are necessary in our body so anybody who's got cancer, anybody who has any kind of chronic disease where they're not nutritionally replete, I guess, we would need to do those. Anybody who's critically ill, we need to kind of look at the balances of that as well. So really do order it for those types of patients. The other thing, no, I think I'm going to just stop there because I think it probably we should start talking about some of the physics of why we need to do this. Sure. And then we'll start talking about other things as well. So physics boy here is going to nerd out yes. for you. And uh, I'm not going to get too hardcore into some of this stuff, but it, really what we're going to talk about is magnetism as a, as a concept. and Kind of a fatal attraction type it, of magnetism? It is. It's a creepy soap opera. <laughs> okay. So two positively charged ions repel each other. Okay. And a positive and a negatively charged ion attract to each other. Just right. like the two plus ends of a magnet you have don't go together and the plus and the minus go together. We learned that all in grade one or two at some point. Now, in the body, our, the reason we call them ions is because they are electrically charged. Magnesium as a element mm-hmm. is not electrically charged. Sodium as an element is, is not electrically charged. But you dissolve it and put it in the body, and it loses some electrons. Okay. Which means it is electrically charged. So uh, calcium, for example, is it, and you'll, you'll see it written this way if you're writing it accurately. They'll say Ca2+. Right. Meaning it's... To, it's missing two electrons to be in, in complete balance, so it's positively charged. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that was calcium. Magnesium as well is a two-plus charge. And phosphate is a minus charge, or phosphorus is a minus charge as an ion in the body. Okay. So calcium and phosphorus might have a little love affair. Right. Magnesium and phosphorus would be attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. But calcium and magnesium... Uh, Don't like each other very much. Not so much love there. Okay. Now, now two other positively charged ions, we call them cations, mm-hmm. cations, and the negatively charged are anions. Two other cations in the body are sodium and potassium. Right. So they fit into this, not the topic of today, but they fit into this mix as well. So we got a whole lot of positively charged ions, and there's a, a very few beautifully negatively charged ions <laughs> standing there trying to um, put some tension in this creepy soap opera. So so that's kind of the the physics there is, is these positively charged ions don't like each other and they don't want to be in the same space. Mm-hmm. So they can move. 
Okay. And we can move some of them around. So that's that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So let, let's actually start with calcium. Um, calcium is actually the most common element in the in the body. Uh, sorry, most common ion in the body, and it where it's found is in the bones and teeth. That makes sense. I think we all know that. Now there's a small amount of calcium in your body that is in its ionized form. So your bones are not two plus charged calcium. Your right. bones are actually calcium element, but when it's floating around in your blood. It's in its ionic form, which okay. we call ionized calcium, which we might be getting into some terms that some of you are familiar with now. So when, we, when you order, when you do a calcium level, mm -hmm. you can do total calcium or ionized calcium. Right. Some labs will call it non-ionized calcium and ionized calcium. Where we work, they call it total calcium and ionized calcium. So, so when would you order one versus one, the other. Yeah. So, so total calcium is actually going to met is, is for a use of say bone density. Oh, okay. Uh, general like the osteoporosis kind of thing. Sure. In an emergency department, we order total calcium because it just sort of comes with the ionized calcium. Right. The reality is nobody usually in an emergency setting looks at total calcium and goes, "Oh my god, call someone." Right. Exactly. Uh, it's more of a chronic disease measurement. Ionized calcium, however, especially in a critical care setting, is huge. And it's right. the, the forgotten element, we often will call it in critical care, because a lot of emergency departments just ignore it, and right. you can have someone who's, who's truly struggling. So let's talk a little bit about that. So as I said, total calcium, not a big thing in the critically ill person. Ionized calcium is the useful form of calcium. It's how our body can use it. Okay. Okay. So what does calcium do? It's a positive ion, so it can repel other positive ions. Okay. The big one that we like to repel right. is potassium Okay. with calcium. Right. So calcium, where do we use it for? Well, nerve conduction, myelin sheaths, cardiac action potential, that whole slow-gated calcium channel. Yeah. Right? That's, that's calcium. And so if you don't have enough of it, nothing's going to work right. It is also required for smooth muscle contraction, so to, re to retain peripheral um, vessel integrity, mm -hmm. uh, we need it. And it's also a major need for the coagulation system. So it kind of is, if you're trying to die, calcium is needed in all aspects of you trying to come back to life. Okay. Now, how do we balance it? It's kept in balance by two different body systems. Your calcium level is raised by dissolving calcium from the bone using parathyroid hormone. Okay. And it's lowered by the release of calcitonin from the thyroid, which uh, stops dissolving it from the bone and allows renal excretion. Okay. Vitamin D promotes absorption from the GI tract and reabsorption into the bone. So it's kind of, it's a three-way little circle that isn't, uh, and, and this is all a slow process. It's not like if your ionized calcium suddenly dumps out, you create mm -hmm. new ionized calcium right away. So if you have hypothyroidism or something like that, does that affect your calcium levels? I have no idea. It's just kind of interesting, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. if your thyroid isn't working as well, um, do you have an accumulation of calcium in your body or ionized calcium? We should look into that. I think we will. Okay. And then we'll write it on the blog. <laughs> or I'll delete this part. <laughs> <laughs> I just suddenly thought of it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just thought of it as I was looking at it. All right. Well, that's what makes us real people. So okay. where do we lose calcium? You lose calcium from over-excretion. Mm -hmm. uh, hypomagnesemia hyperphosphatemia or overexcretion. So you're getting rid of too much of it. It's binding with its lovely phosphorus over there. Um, renal failure, 
um, impairs reabsorption, so you're peeing it out. Okay. And we'll talk about, well, I've already talked about that nasty soap opera kind of thing. Yeah. Now, the, the big thing for the critical care population that we see in emergency department is blood transfusions. So okay. every unit of blood as part of the preser pre preservation, the French is coming out again. Yeah. Uh, the preservation of component blood. Yeah. of blood is there's three grams of sodium citrate in each unit of blood. Okay. Now, in a, in a healthy person whose liver is working, it's metabolized in the liver. In a healthy person whose liver is working, it takes five minutes for my liver to metabolize that citrate. Okay. If I have liver failure, poor perfusion, right. it's going to be longer. Okay. Now, the problem with citrate is it binds to ionized calcium and it renders it useless. Oh. And then we just metabolize it, get rid of it, whatever. It doesn't matter at that point because the ionized calcium is now gone. So if you're giving rapid, massive transfusions of, of blood products, you have to anticipate that that citrate may not be metabolized as fast as you're giving it and may be consuming your ionized calcium. Okay. Now, in the actual blood product you're giving, that process has happened. So, as well, the, uh, there's no, not much calcium in that packed red blood cell. So, you're diluting the calcium. You're maybe also potentially binding the calcium into an, a useless form. So, in someone you're giving lots of blood products to, ionized calcium needs to be something you're looking at. Uh, now, how do we replace it? This is one of the easier ones for us to replace. Typically, we replace calcium in an emergent way. It's not something that we run a calcium infusion over the next six hours. Right. Uh, and there's two forms we usually will give it, calcium chloride or calcium gluconate. Now, the fancy pre-filled syringes in your crash cart mm -hmm. are calcium chloride. Right. It's interesting that we, we have that because most intensivists, and, and I know for sure in my practice, calcium gluconate, is a better drug to give. Doesn't have the chloride, okay. one, which can be a problem in people who are already hyperchloremic. Right. Uh, but as well, if, if it doesn't, if it goes interstitial, chloride's kind of a nasty thing to have go interstitial. Calcium gluconate's just better to use, but the calcium gluconate comes in a vial, not in a pre-filled syringe. Okay, so, and maybe that's why people use the So people use the calcium chloride, and I know I, where I work, in lots of places, I see the eye rolls when the physician says, no, I want the gluconate. There's a reason for that. And I don't know why they don't just package the calcium gluconate in a pre-filled syringe and get rid of the calcium chloride, but again, I'm not in the pharmaceutical industry. Okay, while you were nerding out there, oh, just sorry. a quick Let thing. me come up for air. Okay. I know you, you've talked about the calcium gluconate or calcium chloride. I just want to go back to that question that I asked you about the, the hypothyroidism. And just because you googled it, I did Thank while we were talking for Dr. Google. exactly. But hypothyroidism does actually can cause hypercalcemia, hypercalcemia, hypercalcemia. I don't know why I couldn't say that. I, I think I put an extra syllable in there, but uh, it does do that. But it, um, if you correct their hypothyroidism then usually that fixes it. So anyway, just for your interest, but that might be one of the reasons why you have too much calcium is that either your parathyroid or your thyroid um, gland are not working the way they're supposed to. Perfect, and now yeah. I can leave that part in. Exactly. And you can hear Monique and I argue with argue. each other. <laughs> All right, now how do we test for calcium? I've already talked about blood tests. Ionized calcium yeah. being the one you care about. There's, now there's these two signs that you might see described in some of the literature, the Trousseau sign and the Chivotec. Sign. I know, that sounds I very right fancy, in. yeah. Now, Trousseau's sign, I love this. Inflate a blood pressure cuff around the arm, leave it for three minutes, and the hand will hook over at the wrist and kind of look like a little 
swan or something. Swan, dying swan. Dying or... swan neck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why we would ever do that. No. I can do a blood gas in less than three minutes. Yeah. So anyway, probably has some historical significance there. Uh, the second one is the Chvotek sign. That's C-H-V-O-T-E-K, if you're wanting mm-hmm. to look it up. Uh, and that's where you tap two centimeters in front of the earlobe and one centimeter below the zygomatic process, and you just tap on the face. And if they have their facial much, their facial muscles might twitch on the same side of their face. So really, that's just showing that irritability. That could be a sign of low calcium. It also could be a sign of low magnesium. So it kind of translates across of both. both of them. Now, the reality in my practice, have I seen? critical care intensivists going up to unconscious intubated people and tapping, tapping their them. cheek no. no we just do a blood gas so and again. it is a shame that out there in cyberland that you're not actually here in the kitchen because you would have seen me attempting to do that on my face i can tell you monique's calcium, calcium is- level is okay because she is not having any more <laughs> than her normal facial twitching exactly and despite the fact that i'm perimenopausal my osteoporosis seems to be a-okay well thank goodness for that thank goodness so and as a segue <laughs> I know. Let's i'm move actually going to talk about mag- magnesium um i'm going to try and geek out a little bit as well so i am actually interested in magnesium only because we certainly give it and so understanding why we give it and the the clinical reasons why we do see it being given it's important to me. So when we talk about magnesium, it is the second most common positively charged ion in the body. And what does magnesium do? It is the main the main thing it does is to assist in the balance of the calcium and potassium. It actually helps to balance out the world. It's very zen-like, I guess. There is no good literature to actually gauge the effects of magnesium on specific critical care diagnosis or issues, but it does show lots of uh, literature to show how it balances other cations. And I, I feel quite good about talking about this because I'm the person who balances people out. So I feel like the magnesium in a lot of my relationships. And how do we balance it? Often it is balanced through our kidneys and our bones. Uh, we also, it gets a little bit complicated. It uses lots of chemicals in order to balance everything else. And it, and it can store it in the cytoplasm of cells, cells bound and, to proteins. And yeah. honestly, there's all these letters and numbers. And yeah, it was way too complicated, doesn't really quite matter. frankly. <laughs> but it does actually get bound, and, and it does help to balance things. And how do we lose it? Well, we lose it by overexcretion, poor nutrition. And then if everything else is off kilter and it's trying to balance it too much, then it also loses as, as well. Now, interestingly... You know, I'm going to show my age again. Way back when, when we used to treat our uh, poor individuals that came in who had had a little too much to drink, um, we would give them the yellow bag of multivitamins, but we always used to add magnesium and thiamine uh, in our mix. And now we no longer do that, and it's quite interesting because most of the time they're magnesium and uh, is fine anyways, but we used to give it. But where I do see it being given is actually in the in scenarios where we've had a cardiac arrest and we see somebody with torsades and then we find out that perhaps when you look at them clinically they might be you know doing a little too much alcohol misuse or they actually look like they are in nutritional deficits and you know Landon and I were talking before we started this and we were thinking it probably isn't secondary to hypomagnesium uh, it probably is secondary to actually a high uh, Potassium high and it's potassium the, or high calcium. Exactly. Or, and it's, it's, it's just the way to balancing. That's needed. Absolutely. Right. So 
the, the learning is really that it isn't necessary to replace the magnesium, I think, um, for the magnesium's sake, but we do it because it helps to balance everything else out. Just as an of note, um, you may see magnesium given um, in asthmatics, and this has nothing to do with the balancing act. Uh, magnesium in those cases are given solely for their smooth muscle relaxant uh, for severe asthma. And we might talk about asthma in a further mm. uh, podcast. That might be kind of interesting about some of the new kind of uh, meds or when we give prednisone and things. But um, I'm off my rocker. point as well. Not my rocker, just my point. So why don't you end the Nerdathon here with uh, phosphate? Sure. So. Let's talk about the, the sultry, negatively charged <laughs> ion phosphate. So it is a negatively charged ion. Uh, it's, it is one of the main negatively charged ions. Interesting, chloride is kind of the other main negatively mm -hmm. charged ion. Most phosphate is stored in the, in the bones and teeth. It works as a buffer in acid-base balance, and, and acid-base balance is the balance of positive ions. Right. So acid is just positive, too much positive hydrogen ion. That's what is an acid. So this helps because it's negatively charged, and so it can help with that. Phosphate is a main component of ATP, and for those of you who haven't nerded out in a few years, you'll remember that, that ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, is the currency of energy in the body. Right. Everything is ATP. Um, and so it, that's important to know. It's also a main component of, of 2,3-DPG, which has many names, 2,3-BPG, um, 2 3 biphosphoglycerate or 2,3-diphosphoglycerate. Now, who cares about 2,3-DPG? You all care about 2,3-DPG. It's one of the most important chemicals we have in the body. And so, so a little seg or a sidebar about 2,3-DPG, of which phosphate's a big component. When your blood goes around your body, mm -hmm. it starts dropping off oxygen. Right. Now, when it drops off that oxygen, into the plasma to then go into the cell off the hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. It wants to make sure that it that oxygen doesn't just bind to an empty hemoglobin next to the one it just dropped off of. So right. it has to make hemoglobin look like empty hemoglobin look like a bad option. Okay. And so two three DPG binds to hemoglobin that has dropped off oxygen already. Okay. And makes it look like sorry, I'm full, you go into the cell you silly little oxygen. So it's the way our body actually gets to use the oxygen, right? right? So if you're at okay. the end of the circulatory system when there's not much oxygen left, oxygen may not want to drop right. off and may just want to bind to another next to it hemoglobin that has no oxygen. It doesn't know that it's almost at the end of the road. Okay. And so 2,3-DPG helps with that driving force into oh, okay. the cells. So it's actually a very important chemical in our body that is really never looked at. And most of you have probably only heard of 2,3-DPG as a treatment for um, uh, nerve agent. Okay. So if you've taken a course that they talk about that. Uh, so last thing really about phosphorus is it's the only thing that actually makes you a thing. If we were to look on, on sort of the grand spectrum scale here, the only thing that makes a cell a cell is the wall around the cell. Okay. Otherwise, you're just a big blob of cytoplasm. And so the wall around your cell is the phospholipid bilayer. And you can see phospho, it's coming up in all these words. And so that has phosphorus in it as well. So it's quite an important element. And we just, we, it comes with calcium, magnesium, phosphate. It kind of rounds out our extended electrolytes. Mm -hmm. Look at all the main electrolytes in the body, not just sodium, potassium, chloride. Right. 
it's kind of like you do have to look at all three of them together to get a real true sense yeah. of what's going on it, instead of looking at them individually. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so so it is balanced with calcium frequently. Right. And that's part of that sultry soap opera relationship yeah. there is, is phosphorus and calcium kind of have this inverse relationship right. that can... Um, that can they can bind and, and consume each other, right? And, and that can be a good or a bad, bad thing. thing. And, okay. Um, so where do we lose phosphorus? Okay. Uh, the most common causes are alcoholic cirrhosis. Um, interesting overuse of antacids oh, containing really? magnesium or aluminum because pluses and minuses exactly. love each other, right? Yeah. Aluminum being a positively charged cation as well in the right. body. So again, they can take their phosphorus with them and become a stable element that's no longer charged right and those again they get stored in the liver or peed out or whatever but again once they're bound and they're married together they mm -hmm. don't really want to get a divorce Excellent. it's hard to break them apart it takes energy to break them apart at that point so why would the body do that however there it and is as again. Well, there, there. Hypercalcemic states. So conditions creating hypercalcemic states. So like so a hypothyroidism. Too much calcium. Yeah. It needs to balance. How does it balance? Grab some phosphorus, then let's go along our merry way and get peed out or whatever. Now, how do we replace it? IV administration is possible. And it's pretty rare to give it. I know in my intensive care unit days, yeah. there are a few patients here and there that would be on a phosphate infusion. Um, it's not the most common electrolyte that we give as infusions for sure. Uh, okay. and, and it's kind of risky because you're giving you're giving the sultry phosphate yeah. in the body and it could take potassium, calcium, magnesium with it. It can kind of do anything. So the great good side about that is it tends to regulate itself. Okay. But it, again, it's one of those things. So it's all so, more common to, to fix the calcium than to fix the phosphorus. Yeah. Kind of. Absolutely. Okay. So, so in yeah. summary, why don't you kind well, of so in finish summary, this up the, the, then? Again, I, I think I've kind of talked about the creepy soap opera relationship yeah. there. Every, everything works better when it's single. Right. Okay. Positive and negative like to hitch up. So, and be useless evermore. <laughs> <laughs> so again, magnesium, calcium combined with phosphorus, potassium combined with phosphorus. They can all bind with chloride, uh, but they're not useful once they're not a cat. Once mm -hmm. they're not in an ionized form. Two positives don't like each other. So it's often potassium that will end up moving because mm -hmm. it can move into the cell pretty quickly, which is why some of you will see calcium gluconate given for hyperkalemia. Let's put a lot of calcium in the blood. They all don't like each other. Calcium can't go anywhere, but the potassium can move easily. Yeah. So it lowers your serum potassium. Okay. Now that calcium is going to find phosphorus to love or it's going to get stored somewhere. And your potassium is going to come back into the blood. That's why we call that a rescue treatment. Right. Um, because your potassium will go back up if you don't get rid of it some other way no predictable way to assess all of this so <laughs> what I want you to go away with is thinking that positive know which ones are positive and negative and think okay so I'm giving someone say potassium chloride right which will then become potassium and chloride uh, once it's ionized in the body so what else could it screw up? Yes. And, oh, there's that magnesium that's also positively charged. There's ionized calcium. Am I going to... Too far. Too am I going to screw one of those up? And okay. again, that's a whole six-month physiology course, course to yeah. know how you're going to. But what we want you to take away from is go, these aren't just silly chemicals we're giving. They yeah. can all interact. And so smart nurse would go at least ask the question, should I be monitoring calcium, magnesium, phosphate right. in these patients or is it not necessary? 
Absolutely. And I think, again, it kind of adds to our clinical picture, doesn't it? And it's kind of scary that when you look at it, it actually almost sounds like a dating website. Everything well, works is. better when they're single. It is. This is a, a creepy soap opera. <laughs> it That's is. How I've Positive and negative. Years, like right? to hitch up, right? It does sound like that a little bit. Anyways, very interesting. Total nerd out. Uh, so, for those of you who love pathophysiology, I'm sure that you've had way fun listening way to more fun way than more fun no i've had a great time um and watching uh landon's little eyes sparkle as he's talking about this uh is certainly makes it worth it and uh so until next time monique goodbye and <laughs> goodbye monique and <laughs> this is landon we'll see you next time all right bye for past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca